You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I'm going to read two texts and then a third. And so you can all remain seated for the first two. And then I might ask you to stand up for the third one. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And then Hebrews chapter 9 says this, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And now let's all stand for today's gospel reading. This is found in Mark chapter 12. As Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you would anoint this room to make preaching easy and to make hearing your word a delight to the soul. I pray that as the word goes forth and as we prepare to come to your table, we would be changed to leave this room and to be generous to the world we're walking out to. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to start with a phrase, an idea that God gave me as I began to get ready to prepare this message. And what I felt the Spirit speak to me was this. Real breakthrough is not a favorable result at the end of a long trial. But the breakout of freedom in the midst of a trial before an outcome is rendered. Freedom happens when we learn to wait. I'm going to read it again. Real breakthrough is not a favorable result at the end of a long trial. A real breakthrough is not getting to the good thing you're hoping happens. But the breakout of freedom in the midst of the trial, before an outcome is rendered. Freedom happens when we learn to wait. And so the question posed to us today is, what if we actually learned to wait? I have a two-year-old, as you all know, and she has gotten into the repeating everything until you acknowledge her presence in the room phase. And the repetition of Nanny Pop-Pop's house, Nanny Pop-Pop's house, Nanny, and we're not even going to Nanny or Pop-Pop's house, and she won't stop because she can't wait. 
I wonder if God looks down and says, church, stop repeating yourself. We're on our way. Enjoy this journey. We have these three texts that we read. And we, when we look at these three texts, there's three action points of God in these texts. And I want to start off by saying this. Christianity is not a problem religion. Christianity is not rooted in the idea that we have problems that God came to fix. This is not what Christianity is about. And so much of how we do church and so much of how we live our Christian life is really spent in the idea that we have some problems and we have needs and God is here to fix our problems and meet our needs. That does happen during the course of our Christian walk. Amen? And are we not grateful every single day that he meets our needs and forgives our sins? Salem, are we grateful about this? But when the meeting of needs and the solving of our problems becomes the center of our faith, then in so many indulgent ways, we become the center of our faith. This is not a problem religion. Christianity is a praise-centered religion. We are here to give God glory in every single circumstance. That's why when we sing things like, in the storm, he is Lord, it means something to us because praise is actually more important than problem solving. These three action points of God that we find in this text are so unique into how God enters the fray and the war and the brokenness of our everyday life and brings praise to his people. The psalm, unless God builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What this psalm tells us that is if God doesn't act, our actions do not bear fruit. Unless God builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless God acts, our actions will not bear fruit. And we want Christianity to be, if I act, then God will. That's what we want. We want a God where we can say, if I do, then you will. And God says, unless I do, you can't. Unless I act, you can't. And this terrifies you as a pastor because I know myself. And I, when I read that and I had that thought, I said, cool. So until you do something, I'm going to sit here. And I'm not going to do anything. And I'm like, this cannot be right because that just seemed too enjoyable to me at the moment. That's why we have our Hebrews text. Christ has entered into the sanctuary not made with hands and once and for all has offered himself a sacrifice for sins. Psalm 127 is saying, unless God acts, those who act will act in vain. And I'm sorry, and I apologize. Before we get to that Hebrew text, I want to talk about the three things that Psalm says. Um, those who build will labor in vain, those who protect will labor in vain, and those who try and provide will labor in vain. Those three realities, building, protecting, and providing, these are the summations of our life. This is what we do as humans. This is why we work. This is why we love. This is all of who we are, is to build, to protect, and to provide. And God is saying the three most essential realities of the Christian faith will not happen well unless I'm in them. We're all trying to build things, and we've tried to build things for so long, and, and, and not a brick has gone on top of another brick, whether it's relationships, finances, whatever it is. We try to protect ourselves in ways that God is not in. We try to avoid the very instrument of faith that Jesus came to show us is the instrument of faith. And we obviously try to provide for ourselves in many, many ways. And God is saying, unless I do these three things, you'll do them all day long, and there will just be holes in the bucket. But then Hebrews comes, and Hebrews tells us this. God has acted, 
in the person of Jesus Christ. So God needs to act. That's our faith. God has acted in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's our hope. Jesus is the divine action of God. Whenever Jesus does anything, God is doing that thing. So when Jesus sits by the treasury, God is sitting by the treasury. When Jesus falls asleep in a storm, God is resting in chaos. When Jesus heals blind eyes, God is having compassion on those who are marginalized. Everything we see Jesus do is what God does because Jesus is the divine action of God. So when Jesus goes to the cross, God goes to the cross. And we enter one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's most famous mysteries, God is on the cross. God has decisively acted in the person of Jesus Christ. So whenever we pray, Father God, I need your hand to be put on my life. I need you to act into my life. What we really need to realize immediately is that God has done this in the person of Jesus, and he's going to do it for you. But everything you've ever needed God to do for you, God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit. We are getting excitingly close to Christmas time. My favorite food is pizza, and my favorite season is Christmas time. And as we get ready for this, we enter one of the most commonly used phrases and one of the greatest divine mysteries, and that is, in this infant that's going to be born in Bethlehem, we will look at him and say, Emmanuel, God with us. And we will watch God grow all year long as we enter 2019. We're going to follow the gospel story of Jesus Christ, and we're going to watch God grow from an infant to 12 years old, into a man baptized in the Jordan, heading for the cross, and then coming out of the empty tomb. Everything we see Jesus do is God acting, and acting on our behalf through Jesus. So we know that unless God acts, our actions will be meaningless. And we know that God has acted in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now our gospel text, the widow's mites, we see Christ's actions must become ours. And this is love. Psalm 127, God must act. That's faith. The Hebrews 9 text, God has acted in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And now that God has acted in the person of Jesus Christ, he continues to act in the person of Jesus Christ. And now that looks like the body of Christ, as we ranted about last week, that looks like the body of Christ, the church. We are how God continues to act through Christ for the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this moment where Jesus watches this widow give every last penny that she has, and Jesus calls his disciples to them, he's saying to them, this moment of offering for her is now going to become a parable for you for the rest of your life. The way that she gave everything she had is the way that I want you to live your entire life, and you will see me ultimately do this when I climb up on that piece of wood on Good Friday. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he has become the widow, giving all that he had. And he's saying, this is not just the financial life that I want you to live, although it includes that. This is the entire life. Hebrews 12 would say it like this, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Give all of who you are. So we need God to act so that our actions matter. We know that God has acted in the person of Jesus Christ, and because he continues to act in the person of Jesus Christ, our actions now need to become Christ's, because we are the body of Christ animated by the Spirit walking around this earth. So when people are out there praying, thy kingdom come, we might be how God answers that prayer. 
every encounter we have, everything I just talked about, is happening while we wait. Every meaningful moment you've ever had with God is happening while you wait. Every word that you've been given, every revelation that you've had when you read the scriptures, every moment of love between you and a spouse, a friend, a child, everything that has ever meaningfully happened in your life that God was a part of has happened while we wait. This worship service that we just had is happening while we wait because we are all waiting for the person of Jesus to come back to this earth. Amen? We won't get so advanced with our crazy talk that we forget that we are waiting for Jesus to return to his earth. Good. I'm glad that just happened between us just now. Unless, I have one right here, but thank you. I have two towels now. Fantastic. Double portion. If we don't think about heaven, we are going to indulge way too much in what we see. We're afraid to think about heaven because we can't understand it. If you came to our 16 hours of Revelation Bible study over the summer, you realize that all of that work was to say something amazing is going to happen. We're not 100% sure what it's going to look like. And so whenever we enter something that we can't solve, we end up retracting from that thing. And the reality is the return of Christ and the judgments that come after that, they're a divine mystery that we will never be able to solve. But the reality is this. Here's the, here is what is amazing about the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are unable to be solved. But when you engage them, they solve you. The mysteries of God will never be solved. But when we engage those mysteries, when we challenge our brain, challenge our heart, challenge our soul, challenge our physical body to engage the mysteries of God, somehow those unsolved mysteries solve us. They untie the knots in our lives. Like it's said of John the Baptist, he, he says, as Christ is getting to return, every valley will be raised up and every mountain will be brought down. The entrance of God is a mystery, but the entrance of that mystery levels things out. It smooths things out. And so we need to enter this mystery of thinking about heaven because we are obsessed. We, all we see, all we can understand is the brokenness of our lives. And if we take a ledger of what we talk about most, odds are we talk most about the things that bother us. At some point, at least three times a day, in the morning, somewhere at noon, and in the evening before we go to bed, we have to get lost in the daydreaming of what it might be like when Jesus brings his justice to the earth. Elise Fitzpatrick said this, when we see him appear, we will immediately look at him and say, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. In every relationship, this is what I've been waiting for. At the bottom of every empty bottle, this is what I've been waiting for. After every tear has been poured out of my eyes, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been looking for in every beautiful fall scene. This is what I've been looking for in every birthday party, every New Year's Eve celebration, everything we do. When we see Jesus, we'll say, that's what I've been looking for in everything else. We have to get lost in that thought. Otherwise, we will glorify what's breaking apart and never wait for the perfect that's coming. We have to get lost. We have to get lost in our thoughts about heaven. Waiting is an encounter with God. 
Waiting is not waiting for an encounter. Waiting itself. God has stretched out time so that he has given us the promise of his return and has not physically returned yet. And so he has stretched out time because it's his will that waiting happens. Because waiting is how we encounter him. And the funny thing is, we think that when we go to heaven, we'll stop waiting for him. And that is just untrue. Because he is infinite. And we will never be able to understand all of him at any point, which means even when we're with him, we will be waiting to learn the next thing about him forever. Waiting is what God is like. No one, you don't need to like that. That's fine. That's fine. Holy Saturday is a problem. On Holy Saturday, Jesus had died the day before. He was to be raised again on the next day. But Holy Saturday comes where nothing happens. And here's what's amazing about Holy Saturday. We celebrate it now as a day where we learn to wait. But when it was happening, nobody knew they were waiting. Jesus tried to tell them, but even the scriptures indicate that it wasn't until he rose from the dead that they understood the things that he previously told them. So on Holy Saturday, the day where we celebrate waiting, the day where we say, even if everything in your life seems dead, hold on one more day. No one knew that. On the, no one knew it was Holy Saturday that day. They thought it was a terrible Saturday. Nobody knew it was Good Friday on that day. It was the worst Friday. See, waiting has a way to bring us farther along in our encounter with God that when we look behind us, we can rename what we thought was bad and call it good. But some of us can't wait, and so we can never rename our past because we're always living in it in an indulgent, lustful way. But when we just get carried along by the waiting of God, eventually we're able to look back and say, oh, hold on a minute, that was Easter Sunday. Hold on a minute, that was Holy Saturday. Hold on a minute, that disgusting Friday, that's going to be called Good Friday for the rest of time. Because waiting has a way for us to rename what has gone wrong in our past. No one knew that they were waiting. And so many of us are waiting for something. And the reality is this. And honestly, with Pastor Mark in the room, this is the testimony of your pastor. You never know what you're waiting for, even if you can name what you're waiting for. Did we know we were waiting for this? No. And here's the reality. God will never tell you the actual thing that you're waiting for. He'll put it in something like a relationship. He'll put it in something like a calling. He'll put it in something like the promise of a promotion. He'll put it in something like that so there's a tangible reality that is anchoring us. But the thing we're waiting for, we will never know because the waiting is what gets us ready for the thing that we're waiting for. And if he told us before the waiting what it was, we would say, I can't wait. And we would say, I can't wait for two reasons that are both wrong. We would say, I can't wait because we'd be overly excited, which isn't great. And we would say, I can't wait as if to say, I won't wait for that. I would never put in the time waiting for what you're promising me. So he doesn't tell us what we're waiting for. No one knew. Maybe Mary was the only one that had a hunch that she was waiting for something. But probably couldn't name what it was. It wasn't until he rose from the dead that they said, oh, wow, I didn't even know I was waiting. Because I didn't know that was going to happen. Hold that thought for a few more minutes. 
God waited. A simple interaction. Adam and Eve sin. God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, we hid. God says, who told you that you were naked? Here's what we know about God. He says, Dan, where are you? And then he waits for a response. We just overlook this. God knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly why it went wrong, and he knows exactly how he's going to rectify everything. And yet, with all of the knowledge that would, we would think would make us never to have to wait, he waits for a response. Maybe I'm just a nerd, but I pray that we all become nerds like this. That is amazing what happens when God grows silent. He's waiting for us to have an opportunity to enter his presence and dialogue with him. He doesn't talk so we can't respond. Some of us do that to each other. We talk so fast. We ask such condescending questions. We make so many quick remarks that we think, if I can get the other person from speaking, that proves that I'm right. No, it doesn't. It proves that you're immature. God, who knows the answers to the questions he's asking, desires more to wait for our response than to give us information. When we wait, we are becoming like the God who waits. Not because of sin. He waits because that's who he always will be. He's always the kind of God who will wait because of his character. How do we know? Jesus waits. If you're the son of God... Come down off that cross. Let's do the math. I am the son of God. And if I come down, they will all believe me. But he waits. He waits because he doesn't see God coming down off the cross. And Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. And until my father comes down off this thing, I'm not coming down. I'm waiting. And he waits until he expires. That's how long he waits. What does he say to his disciples? I have longed to have this Passover meal with you. What does that mean? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed for you to understand the time of your visitation. What does this mean? This, Jesus is talking, God is talking, and God is saying in Jesus, I yearn, I long, I wait. I could have had this meal with you three years ago, but I waited until now to have it. And the whole time I was waiting, I was yearning and longing. God is the kind of God who waits. When we have to wait for things, we're not doing something God himself hasn't already done for us. He waits. When we refuse to wait, we're telling God we can be God better than him. And he says as punishment, go ahead. Waiting is revelation. Waiting reveals our poverty so that we know what to give back to God and to neighbor. He said this woman has given all that she has had to give. Waiting reveals in us the wheat and the tares. I love this parable. Master, somebody has come and sown tares into our field. And the master says, wait until they're all fully grown. And when they're fully grown, there will be some items that look like wheat that when the wind blows, they'll snap. They're the tares. And then there will be other items that look like wheat that when the wind blows, they will bend freely and be flexible. That's the wheat. Waiting reveals to us the obstinate tares in our life. The part of us that if we have to wait for a second, we break. We lose it. 
we send the nasty email or the hot text messages or things like that. I'm telling pastor the things that I've done (laughs) while waiting for a very long time. I'm so grateful for people who just kind of also wait after they get an email like that before they respond. Thank you. Waiting reveals the tears of our life. It reveals the moments where when we get to the place where we say, I can't wait anymore, what we're saying is, I don't want to be like God anymore. It's good to know that. It's painful, but it's good to know that. Wherever we're not flexible, it's because we're impatient. Wherever there's no flex, wherever there's no willingness to listen, wherever there's no willingness to explore ourselves, to say, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any grievous way within me, wherever we're not willing to do that, it's because we're not patient. It's because we want God to hurry up. We don't want things to happen in the fullness of time. We want them to happen in our time. We are constantly asking God for premature blessings, blessings that are malformed that don't work right. Or we're asking God to give us a fully mature blessing into a heart that's premature for it. If we want life to work, we just enter God's time. And there's going to be tragedies and blessings. And if we are walking in step with him, our heart will always have the capacity to deal fruitfully with the situation we're currently in. Always. We will have the grace to deal with it. It won't always be what we want, but we will have the grace to deal with it if we're walking in step with time himself. Waiting reveals in us what is offering or what is transaction. Waiting reveals if I've actually given God my heart freely or if I've put a little bit of contractual obligation on God once I gave him my heart. Here's my heart. Here's all of me, but if I don't get a return, I'm taking some of me back. Here's all of me, but if this situation, if I don't have the relationship that I want this time next year, I'm taking some of me back. Waiting lets us know, have I really put myself on the altar, or am I looking for an investment and not giving myself as an offering? If I'm looking for a return, there's a problem, because what I'm saying is God accepting my offering is not enough. The fact that God says yes to our heart when we offer that pathetic little thing to him (laughs) is the greatest blessing that we will ever have on this earth as long as we're waiting for him to show up. God's saying yes to us. And if you think that we're, see, we love when people say yes to us. We've just turned it into things like, how many likes did I get? We love when people say yes to us. When the King of kings and Lord of lords accepts you. When he says yes to you in a world where other people are saying no to you. When he says yes to you, what else are you looking for? Don't respond. Write that down. What else am I looking for? And for one week, literally write down the other things that you're hoping for. Write down what is more than that to you. See, I do this. I've done this with this particular message. Because there's things that I'm waiting for that I want to have happen, and there's always that response in us to want to pull back from God when he doesn't give us what we wanted, and it's important to write those things down, to be able to name and take responsibility over the things that we want more than God's yes of our heart, because I cannot confess my sins to God rightly if I'm not naming them. It is not enough to say I have sinned today. That's the thesis statement, but the rest of the paper has to be what that sin looked like. 
And as we say it, we give it. And guess what God does? He accepts our heart and then he accepts our sin. He says, I'll take that too lovingly. So imagine what we're keeping when we don't confess our sins. I'm keeping this vile, rotting reality that Jesus is longing to take. We have to say, I'm giving you all of me forever. Whatever happens after that, you've said yes to me. And so I'm just going to follow you. And when it gets rough, I'm going to grab somebody else from this church and say, right now is one of those times I want to pull back. Help me stay anchored. I'm not going to become an island. I'm not even going to become a peninsula. I'm going to be a landlocked reality in the middle of the country. I'm going to be Oklahoma. I wrote that joke. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't write that joke. Into there. And finally, waiting reveals in us a life of abiding in Christ or being benefited by him. There's a great message out there preached by one of the most eloquent expositors of scriptures I have ever known in my entire life. And the name of that message is called Abide. Who preached that? That was you. It costs you to abide in him. It costs you everything to abide in him. And the ones who don't abide in him don't get pruned. And the ones who do abide in him get cut by him all the time. This doesn't feel right ever. And so what we end up doing is we end up calling abiding wanting to be benefited. And so what we end up doing is we end up believing that we're abiding in him, but really what we're doing is saying, benefit my life. Add to who I am now. Make me more of who I am now. And we know that this is not what he does. He has come to kill who I am now and make me a whole new me. Abiding in him drowns me. Abiding in him suffocates me. Abiding in him expires me. And I become a new me in the process. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And waiting will give us the time to be honest. Am I looking to be benefited by God or am I truly looking to abide in him and have his life become mine? All of that to say this as we get ready to come to the table. The God of waiting. God descends into the lower regions of our life while we wait. While we were sitting around on Holy Saturday wondering what just happened on Good Friday, Jesus had descended into the lower regions of the earth. And he was preaching some of the greatest messages you could ever imagine in hell. While you wait... This, this one is coming right out of my life. While you wait and submit to waiting, whatever God has put in your life that you're waiting for, he put it there, not necessarily so you can have that thing that you're waiting for, but so that you can wait at all. Because this is what he's doing. When we're waiting, he's descending. He's descending lower than our waiting makes us feel like we descend. He's descending into the lower regions of my heart, and he's leading captivity free. He's setting us free. He's preaching in the bowels of the hell that is my heart, and he's breaking people out of prison in my soul. 
While they were thinking nothing was happening, Jesus is in hell doing more than we could ever possibly describe. While you wait, hell in you is being defeated. While you wait, the enemy is getting stomped out. While we say, I can't wait, we're asking Jesus to come up out of the hell of my life. Just leave it alone. I'll keep it. Thank you very much. We don't want that to happen. Waiting is not a fruit. It's what we will do. We will wait for Jesus to come back. We will wait to be healed when we're sick. We will wait until the grieving is over when somebody's not healed. We will wait for these things whether we want to or not. You can't stop waiting. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit because patience is a part of who God is. And when we connect with the Spirit in that way, part of who God is grows on our life. Patience is giving us the ability to wait faithfully. And yes, it does start when you're driving your car. It does start there. When we had our One Beacon event, we talked about how little tiny acts of judgment can one day grow into a world of hate and tragedy. It's the same for the good side as well. When I can learn to work with the Holy Spirit in terms of patience while I'm driving, while my daughter's repeating herself, when I can learn to be patient there, I will learn to be patient through tragedy. I will learn to be patient through loss. I'll learn to be patient when the bookends of my life are no longer secure. When, I'm, when, when the part of my security is so far back I can't remember it anymore, and any chance of seeing the land of security is just absolutely in vain because of the amount of water I see, when I'm in that middle of reality where I don't know what's going to happen next, patience, like the life of Christ, can allow you to fall asleep in a boat as if you were on land, even when it's rocking like this. That is patience happening in Jesus. That's just not like this, this superhero faith where he knows eventually we're going to get to land. Jesus is living and saying, Lord, I'll, I'll wait through this storm. Jesus is laying there saying, Father God, I'll wait through this storm, and I'm so secure in this waiting that I'll take a nap. And who doesn't like to take a nap? You don't like to take a nap? Devil is a liar. Everybody likes to take a nap. <laughs> Waiting is the formless and void. And just like in Genesis 1, the spirit does hover over the face of the deep. Always know that while you're waiting, the spirit is hovering. He's always hovering over your waiting. And if you're willing, if, if, you're, if you're waiting for the thing, you will always grow weak. If you're waiting for the promotion, you'll grow weak. If you're waiting for that relationship, you'll grow weak. If you're waiting for the relationship you do have to end, you'll grow weak. If you're waiting for the next big moment, the next big celebration, the next big season in your life where you can hide in it and avoid all the other issues in your life, if you're waiting for those things, you'll grow weak. But they that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed in strength. You never have to wait for anything in your life because here's the reality. If you're waiting for Jesus, everything that God has ever desired to give you is in him. The promotion, the marriage, the kid, whatever it is, the life that you want, if it was ever from God, if anything you're desiring actually is from God, it is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You can stop waiting for all those other things and just wait for him. 
And when you receive him, you receive everything God has ever desired to give you and then some. How do we wait? Let's all stand to our feet as we get ready to come to the table. Paul tells us, as we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. I'm going to say that again because I feel like as we're standing up, people are... When we come to this table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This is an until meal. This is the way that God has given us to wait. We know he has died. We know he is risen. We're about to quote this together. We know that Christ has died. We know that Christ is risen. We are waiting for him to come again. And this meal is how we taste his death. In this meal, we taste the death of Christ, and his death is so sure that his return is as well. So when we come to this table, everything that you're impatient over, everything that won't hurry up the way you would want it to, bring it to this table. Bring in the palm of your hand everything that you can't wait for. And when that bread is placed into your hand, like a rock getting thrown into a puddle, my prayer is that everything that we can't wait for just is shot out of our hand as the presence of God himself is laid into the palm of our hand. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And Paul said, we do this and we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. How do we wait? We come together as a bride and sit at a table with our husband-to-be. We come and we sit with Christ. And we proclaim his death until he returns. And in this meal, we learn the fruit of patience. We learn about the kind of God who, even when he was being betrayed, could still freely offer himself to his betrayer because he had patience. He was able to wait. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we get ready to come to your table, that your hand would be on us and that we would truly be honest enough to bring those things that we can't wait for, those things that we would wish would hurry up right now. I pray for every person here that as we come to the table, that we would have enough faith and enough courage to be able to know and name the impatience of our lives. And I pray that this meal displaces that and we can learn to wait. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.